may have noticed this morning in our bulletin, we have a guest speaker, um, Corey Detweiler. Uh, that last name is familiar. We are related. Uh, Corey is my son. And uh, it's a privilege to introduce him this morning. Corey is currently attending Ashland Theological Seminary and interning at Mennonite Christian Assembly down in Fredericksburg. And so I ask him to come this morning. Uh, Corey and Lynette are here. Um, and they are expecting their first child in October. So I get to be a grandpa here in a few weeks, which I'm really excited about. Um, so, Corey, if you would come, I want to pray with you, and then uh, we'll let you get to your message. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for Corey, Lord, for the work that you're doing in his life. Uh, Lord, it's this morning as he has prepared for uh, a word uh, to us from you. Lord, may we learn from you. May we learn from his words. May we be inspired and changed by um, the words that your messenger speaks. And Lord, just uh, fill him with your Holy Spirit as he um, presents to us the words that you've given him throughout this week. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It really is good to be here this morning. Uh, I grew up in this church uh, for the first 20 years of my life, so I still have a lot of family here. Uh, some of my best friends are here. Uh, so it, it has it been a joy already to be here on Bluegrass Sunday. My wife is from Virginia, and so we head down there quite often. And between here and there, in the great state of West Virginia, there is a church called the Cowboy Church. I've always wondered what a service would look like at the Cowboy Church. And I guess this morning we got a small uh, glimpse of what that might look like. But I think Keith is right. I think that it is so good for us to experience different forms of worship, to experience uh, worship in the ways that many other people experience it and, and there are yet even other forms of worship, but in all of that, we are all one church, we are all one body, one family, and there are millions of us gathering across the world this morning. So you guys have been working through the book of Revelation, or at least through the seven churches, and I think if I'm right, which I pray that I am, we're going to be studying the church in Philadelphia this morning. The church in Philadelphia is known as the Faithful Church, and so I thought maybe I should figure out what faithful means, and so a, a quick flip through the dictionary showed that faithful is to show steadfast allegiance or affection. To be faithful is to show steadfast allegiance or affection. And uh, being a sports fan, I had to... Uh, think about it in this way. Sports fans are a peculiar bunch. They are faithful through thick and thin. They know what it means to, to show affection. They know what it means to show affection in the most difficult of times. I have to go here. We as Cleveland fans really understand what it means to be faithful, right? We've witnessed terrible teams. We've witnessed teams that were supposed to be good, that were still terrible. We've witnessed players that were supposed to be good, that turned out to be terrible. And yet, year after year after year after year, we think this might be the year. 
We, we go to games, we buy tickets, we have t-shirts. We are a very faithful bunch. Well, our faithfulness, I suppose, was paid back to us a couple years ago when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA Finals. The ultimate reward as a sports fan, we all got the opportunity to go buy a $20 t-shirt. And so, uh, yeah, faithfulness. We know what it means to be faithful as sports fans. Not all of us are sports fans, though, I recognize this, but we are all faithful to something. All of us are faithful to something. You're either faithful to a TV show, or in the age of watching seven seasons of whatever show you like in a matter of like a month. Some of us are faithful to our family. Some of us are faithful to friends. Some of us are faithful to working out. We are all faithful to something. So my question to you this morning would be, what is it that you are faithful to? And a second part to that question, because I think all faithfulness is somehow rewarded, what is the reward that you reap because of your faithfulness? If you're faithful to something, you likely reap some form of reward, and I'm curious, what is that reward? So keep these ideas in the back of your mind as we wade through the passage this morning. You can turn with me, if you'd like, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We'll be starting in verse 7 and going through verse 13. And while you're flipping there, uh, just a few things about the church in Philadelphia. This was a very small church. This was not a big church. It was a very small church. And the church was also a very persecuted church. The church was a very persecuted church. So look with me, if you will, at the text, Revelation chapter 3, 7 to 13. And you'll notice I don't have a Bible this morning. The text is written in my uh, folder here. I cannot read Bible text. My eyes are, have been failing me as of late. So, Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens, and no one will shut, who shuts, and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door with no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come, bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pray with me before we start. Father, I ask that you would 
walk with us this morning. I ask that your spirit would give us ears to hear. I ask that uh, you would give us a word from yourself this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I believe Jesus wanted to establish in this letter this morning, uh, this letter and that I want to point out this morning is this, that Jesus holds the keys to the kingdom. Jesus holds the keys to the kingdom. Jesus introduces himself as the one who has the key of David, who opens, no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This sounds a bit like a riddle, but I think it's important for us to understand as we get into this this morning, so let's quickly unpack it. This is a reference back to Isaiah 22. And if you, if you go back and read the story in Isaiah 22, what has happened here is God has taken away the job of the chief steward to the king. He's taken that job away from one man and given it to another, Eliakim. And God says that to Eliakim has been given the keys to the house of David. In other words, it is Eliakim who has the keys to open and close the doors to the palace. He has the authority to give people access to the king. And so it is like Jesus. Jesus introduces himself as the one who holds the keys. Jesus is saying I am the one with the power. I am the one with the authority to open and close the doors to the kingdom of God. If you then move down, he tells the church in Philadelphia, I have set before you, church, an open door, which no one is able to shut. You remember that I said this church was persecuted. One of the things about that is that they were being persecuted in part by people that claimed to be the people of God. If you look at verse 9, Jesus talks about those from the synagogue of Satan. These are people that claim to be the people of God. And they are the ones persecuting his followers. And for us, we look at that and it's easy to see who we feel is wrong and who we feel is right. But for this church, for the church in Philadelphia, these were people that they lived with, these are people that they worked with, and now they're being persecuted by people calling themselves the people of God. So this was not sort of an easy thing for them to sort out. But what God is telling them is, church, I hold the keys to the kingdom. I have the power, the authority to open the key open the, the gates of the kingdom, and I have opened them to you. It's interesting, Jesus has nothing but encouragement for this church, the church in Philadelphia. Uh, Smyrna, along with Philadelphia, are the only two churches in these seven that don't receive a rebuke. All the other churches, if you remember, they receive rebukes. There's you know, I've seen your works, this, but also this. You know, you need to work on this. Philadelphia, we don't see that. There is no rebuke for the church in Philadelphia. But what is it that Jesus is commending them for? What is it that Jesus is, is saying they've done well? Well, let's get into that. 
Verse 8, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus here recognizes and commends the faithfulness of the church despite their influence. Jesus recognizes their faithfulness in spite of the little influence that they've had. See, we've, we've asked the, we asked the question earlier, what, what are we faithful to? We're all faithful to something. What are we faithful to? The church in Philadelphia, they have been faithful to the words of Jesus. They've been obedient to Jesus. And you'll notice that Jesus commends their faithfulness in spite of their little power. I think this is something that we need to pay attention to this morning. You see, the church in Philadelphia was persecuted. They were also a very small church. They had very little influence. They had very little power. That's what Jesus means when he says, you have but little power. They they were a small church. There were no Christians on the city council. There were no Christian brothers representing them in Rome. They were very alone. They were very small. And Jesus is telling them still, you've done what I've asked. You've remained faithful. I think too often, bringing this into our context, too often we view the big church. We view influential people. We view those things as, as the way to advance the kingdom of God. Too often we value success and influence over faithfulness. So if you've ever wondered, what do I have to offer the kingdom of God? I think the message here that is applied to the church and I think applies to us still is that God is looking for faithfulness. He's calling us to be faithful. That is what he wants. You don't need to write a book. You don't need to be a political figure. In a small community like this, it's easy to, uh, I shouldn't say easy, but there are more opportunities for uh, status or influence, but that's not what God is asking of this church here. He is asking them to be faithful. And I'm not downplaying big platforms. Big platforms are fine. I think that people that have big platforms, they should use them for the glory of God. I think big churches are okay. I think we want churches that are growing. I think that's important. But when the growth of a church becomes more important than faithfulness to God, we have lost sight of what we've been called to. When the church becomes more concerned with social or political influence in their communities, in their states, in their countries, I think when those things become more important than faithfulness to God, we have lost sight of what we have been called to. We've been called first to faithfulness. I think that's a message particularly relevant in our current climate. Now, I do believe that when people are faithful, that others will notice. I'm no way suggesting that our actions and our influence in society doesn't matter. I'm only suggesting that faithfulness is what God values more than those things. 
So what does it mean to be faithful? If faithfulness is what we've been called to, what does it mean to be faithful? Or how, how is it that we see the church in Philadelphia has been faithful? What Jesus specifically commends the church for here is keeping his word and not denying his name. Simply put, the church, as I said earlier, has been obedient to the words of Jesus. Likely in the midst of severe persecution. They've been faithful to Jesus' words. That the idea of not denying Jesus' name is similar. Uh, if you flip back to Matthew chapter 10, you'll read these words from Jesus. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The church in Philadelphia, while experiencing severe persecution, their church struggling, they've remained faithful. Now, we certainly, in our time, are not in the same sort of social climate. We're not in the same circumstances that Philadelphia finds themselves in. But I do think the question is still important for us to ask ourselves. What does it mean to not deny Jesus' name? What does it mean to acknowledge Jesus' name in our current context? I think oftentimes... One of the first things that comes to mind is, well, we go to church on Sundays. That is how we acknowledge Jesus. Well, I think going to church on Sundays is important. I don't think it is the one place where we've been called to be faithful. You see, I believe that in every hour of every day, we make decisions that either acknowledge Jesus or deny him. Whether we're at work, Students, you're going back to school. In those places, every day, you are presented with the opportunity to either deny or acknowledge Jesus. So I have two quick stories exemplifying either side of this coin. So I have a friend from Virginia, and recently she had an exchange with a guy at work. A customer came into the store where she works, and just treated her pretty terribly. Was rude, was short with her, was a little bit mean to her. It just, just was not good to her. And as she's telling me this, she was telling me how, how, how much it upset her and how she just kind of was like miffed by the whole thing. And what was disappointing to me, and she didn't know this, but I knew who this guy was. I, I knew who it was, and... He was a Christian. In that specific context, this guy, in my opinion, was denying Jesus. He was not being Christ-like. Another story that I have for you, this is a, a friend of mine, his dad was selling tractors. He had two tractors for sale. One was like an 80s model, and one was a 70s model. I don't, I don't remember what make or model, but there was an 80s and a 70s tractor. And he puts these things up on Craigslist, and before long, he gets a call. Hey, I see you got a, an 80s tractor. Uh, I'd like to come look at it. And he, my friend's dad said, yeah, I still have it here. Uh, you can come look at it if you'd like. He said, well, I can't come till tomorrow. He said, well, it'll still be here. You, you, uh, come on tomorrow, and I'll show it to you. 
few minutes later, another guy calls him and says, hey, I see you have an 80s tractor for sale. I'd, I'd be pretty interested in uh, buying it, but I'd like to come look at it today. Uh, is it still going to be there? He said, I still have the tractor, but I promised another guy that it would be here tomorrow, so I, I can't sell it to you. You can come look at it, but I promised this guy would be here tomorrow. The guy a bit miffed said, well, what, you know, what if I bring money? and decide to take it with me today. He said, I, I can't do that. I've promised it to somebody else tomorrow. But the guy hadn't offered to, to pay you for it, has he? No, he hasn't, but I made a promise. The guy hangs up the phone, and it wasn't but a few hours later that he calls him back and says, hey, I found that you're selling another tractor, uh, a 70s model tractor. And he said, ah, oh, yeah, I do have that one for sale. The guy says, well, um, is it in good shape? Yes, it's in good shape. Uh, you've taken care of it? Yeah, I've, you know, I've serviced it like it needs to be serviced, so on and so forth. The guy said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to send a guy that way uh, to pick it up. Uh, if I send you a check with him, can I, can I just pick it up today? And he said, well, don't you want to come with the guy and look at it and make sure it is what I said it was? And he tells my friend's dad, well, uh, in our last phone call, you, you seem to be a man of integrity. You weren't even going to sell me that tractor because you promised it to someone else. The guy sent a check and came and picked up the tractor. Didn't have to look at it because he knew that this guy was good for his word. It was an example, or it is an example, I think, of acknowledging Jesus now, some of us would say, well, that was kind of stupid. Like, the other guy had offered to pay him for it. Why wouldn't he have done that? Because, because his word was more important than any check that he was going to get for the tractor. See, I think every day we have opportunities like that to either acknowledge Jesus or deny him. And the Philadelphians have acknowledged Jesus. They have not denied him in the midst of persecution. So, the thing that you are faithful to, I don't know if you've been thinking about that, I don't know um, if you've been doodling, either way, uh, I'm curious, that thing you're faithful to, what, what's the reward? What do you reap from being faithful to the things that you are faithful to? I think bluegrass Sunday was very fitting. Keith talked about just this idea of looking forward to the promises of God. God has some incredible promises for those who remain faithful. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. You have kept my word. Word about what? Patient endurance. You see, Jesus acknowledges that following him is not easy. He acknowledges that following him is going to require patience. It's going to require endurance. When we think of endurance, what do we think of? Not something that's easy. When I think of endurance, I think of running. I hate running. My wife is, she was a runner, uh, less so right now, but she loves to run. I hate to run. It requires endurance. But endurance suggests that 
It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But you know what Jesus promises us? He promises us that he will be with us in the trial. So this, I believe, specifically points towards maybe a future trial, maybe even one that's already started. I'm not sure. I don't pretend to know. But it is a specific trial. You'll notice it says, um, I'll keep you from the hour of trial. I think that points forward to a specific trial that is coming. I think it points forward to a trial that will have a specific time period. And that sounds daunting to us. You know, this has a little sense of doom and gloom, the end times. Like, that's not something we all love to think about. And I don't pretend to know what that trial is, when it's going to be here, what it will look like. But I do know this, that Jesus promises to keep us from it. He promises to protect us spiritually in the trial. There, there will be hardships. There are hardships. Christians everywhere are dying for their faith. But you know what? Jesus promises to keep us in those trials. You see, he holds the keys to the kingdom. It's Jesus that opens the doors to the kingdom. From here, I, do, I will say that the promises, they only get better. But why are we even looking forward to these promises? Like, what, what is the point of looking towards the future? What's the point of singing songs about uh, heaven? Well, I heard something recently that was really interesting to me, and it makes perfect sense. A woman made the suggestion that the way we view our future drastically affects the way we live and operate in the present. The way that we view our future drastically affects the way we operate in the present. And as I was thinking about that, I was trying to think of sort of an example from my own life or how I could connect that to my own life. And I thought back to my summers as a kid. You know, you're off of school. You have nothing to do. Uh, Not when you're at my house. You had work lists. Um, but there were, two different sort, there were two different types of work lists, quickly. There was the work list that was never-ending. It was, you know, fold the laundry so you could take the trash out so you could pull the weeds, and then, well, maybe it would be lunchtime. Maybe lunch would rescue you. But then there was another type of work list. There was the work list that would be followed by swimming in the afternoon. Finish your work list, and we'll go swimming. That work list we operated much differently with. We were much more efficient. We were much more joyful. Things just went a lot better when we knew the reward that was to come. We operate a lot differently when we look at the promises of Jesus. Look forward to to what he's promised us. So I'd like to quickly do that with us this morning because I think that is a, a huge part of this passage. This struggling church They're struggling to hold fast to what God's called them to. And Jesus is saying that our faithfulness isn't pointless. Our faithfulness is not pointless, but that the faithful are given incredible promises from God. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus promises us that he is coming soon. 
I'm coming soon. He moves quickly to encourage them to hold fast. Now, what I'm not trying to suggest here is that if we work hard enough, then we'll, we'll get to heaven. If we try hard enough, then we'll get to heaven. No, no. Remember, it is Jesus that holds the keys to the kingdom. He's the one that has power to open the doors. He has ultimate power and authority. But, but what he does do is that he promises us that if we hold fast, that we will receive the crown. Hold fast. And it's not for nothing. We're not just holding fast. We're not just being faithful for the sake of being faithful. We're not just doing these things because the Bible tells us so. That's partially why, but the Bible also has some incredible promises for those of us who do remain faithful. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my new name. Jesus promises that we will be pillars in his new temple. These Christians in Philadelphia, they've been thrown out of their temple. The place where they used to worship, they're not even allowed to go anymore. But Jesus says, if you remain faithful, you will be a pillar. You will be the base of my eternal temple. In the New Testament, many of the first apostles were talked about as pillars of the faith. Jesus is promising these Christians that they will be pillars in his eternal temple if only you will remain faithful. He promises them citizenship in a new city. Citizenship in his eternal city. A citizenship that will never fade. Jesus has flung open the doors for Philadelphia. He's flung them wide open. He's welcomed them into his kingdom. If only they would remain faithful. You see, these songs that we were singing this morning, these are not just songs. I think, I mean, I, I love the banjo. I love the mandolin. That warmed my heart this morning. But those, it's not just a style of music. This is not, these are not just songs, but these are promises that Jesus has given us. These are promises to us. If you remain faithful, this is what you have to look forward to. Jesus holds the keys to the kingdom. He's promised us some incredible rewards. He's not asking you to have this broad influence. He's not asking you to change your culture. He's not asking you to do all these sort of crazy, unattainable things. He's just asking that you would be faithful. Faithful at school, faithful at work, faithful to your family. Faithfulness is not easy, but Jesus promises that he will keep us in the trial. 
And then he promises too, just these incredible ideas that we will be pillars in his temple, that we will be citizens of a new city, an eternal city. So I'm curious, what are you faithful to? What are the things that you are just constantly faithful to? And I'm curious what the rewards to that thing you're faithful to, what, what are those rewards? I think it's important to consider. I think it's important to meditate on the promises that Jesus has, has given us here. I think they're very powerful. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for, for your son. I thank you that it is you that hold the keys to the kingdom. I thank you that you've invited us into your kingdom. But Lord, we need help. We need help being faithful. We need help in our pursuit of you. Help us to be faithful. Thank you for the promises that you've given us. Lord, we ask that you would make those promises more than just songs, more than just words on a page, but Father, that those promises would become real in our minds each and every day, that they would become more real to us, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.